Hey everyone, it's Erica, and you're listening to Better Product. We're the show that celebrates great products and the people and processes that make them stronger. And as longtime listeners will know, hearing my voice here in the podcast is a little new. So before we get into today's topic, I wanted to start by sharing an explanation of how you're going to hear my voice and how we'll be working together moving forward. We shared a few weeks ago that I was going to start moderating many of our episodes, and we started to do that. Our goal in doing so was to put a listener advocate in the room, someone who can ask your questions of our hosts, Christian and Megan. Well, we're extending that even more today. We're opening a new chapter here at Better Product, one where I'm going to be your tour guide through the world of product. This is an exploration of our industry, one led by our own curiosity, and we're going to go through it together. And do we have a powerful topic to start with? Today on the show, we're talking about the skills you need to thrive in product. How do we keep our skills up to date? Megan and Christian will share their top advice for growing your career and the mindsets product people need to stay on top of their changing world. What is up? Welcome back. We are having another moderated better product episode. Christian and Megan, how you doing? Scared. Yeah, very scared. I've well, already made you scared of me. Well, yeah, because this- I'm looking down at the script and you have icebreaker question that I won't tell you what it is. So me and Megan are both very scared what it is. Do you know yeah, what- I even blackmailed Erica and she still wouldn't tell me what it is. Well, I trust. I trust you. I But I don't, I don't know what your angle is. Mm. So I've been in the seat before. Yeah. yeah. So. We'll see. Days and all that. Well, but I'm an open book, so whatever you got, <laughs> I will answer it. Well, I am one of those old timey diaries with a lock on the front. So, yeah. you oh. are you are like the human version of my diary from elementary school. You had a diary. I did. I wrote the names of I wrote the names of girls I liked. There was like seven or eight in there, and then I would like cross one out when like. I didn't like her. When anymore. she wronged you. <laughs> so then it became a burn book. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. I don't know where yeah. that diary is today. I don't think it made it through all my moves, like my baseball cards. But uh, that's pretty much all I used the diary for. But man, I wish I had it still so I could see what mm. was going through my head. Funny. Funny enough, the icebreaker question is kind of related well, to this. Well, that's even scarier. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking like the multiverse alternative reality is a really popular right now. And today, um, for our listeners, we're talking about product careers. So I wanted to ask Christian and Megan just for fun, where do you think you'd be working right now? Or what kind of career would you be in if you didn't end up in product? Illegal, Megan. I can see Megan's yeah. face. Legal. I think she wants a legal profession, just FYI, to narrow it down for you. <laughs> um, so... I, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm weird in the sense that I never like had a, like a dream job. So there wasn't like something else. The, the area that I'm interested in still, I really love genealogy, but I cannot figure out how I would make a living doing that. Hmm. But if there was some metaverse where I could just do genie, like for example, when, when my when my daughter was born and we were in the hospital for like four days, um, like we were talking about genealogy with one of the nurses, mm-hmm. and I just like did her genealogy because I had nothing but you know time to kill, just like sitting there in the hospital. Like that's mm-hmm. how much I was into it. I like did 
a random stranger's like family tree. So how do you feel about ancestry? Like almost the commodification of genealogy. I mean, it scares me. There's the discovery. Like I discovered some really crazy stuff, like dark stuff. It's great. I loved it. Really good dinner table conversations. But like, (laughs) so if we find out, but there's some people that say that like, we should be able to map out like the entire human race. And that's kind of like a bummer, but it doesn't change the story fact. Well, that's like the cool part. It's like, if you do enough research, you'll find some story. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like the same thing that we're always craving is some key story. So it's not even really just the data that matters, but it's the story behind it. Like, okay, you know that you have some like maybe distant cousin, but like how did they end up where they end up? Mm. That's what's really interesting. Speaking of the illegal aspect, I have a problem with genealogy, Christian, because there are people that committed crimes years ago thinking that they would get away with it. And they probably would have for their entire lives had it not been for Ancestry.com. Wait, so is that a, did you say that was like a problem you had? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to ask a follow-up. They did everything it. right. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's okay. very unfair. That's very unfair to those old-timey criminals. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kidding on that sort of, I guess. Uh, but my, <laughs> I, I have a similarly to you, Christian. I never really had a dream job. I have friends who do and are now in that, like friends who became doctors, and their whole life they knew they wanted to become a doctor. And I never really had anything like that. I was just always trying to figure out how do I merge all of my interests together. Um, my answer is probably going to be kind of disappointing because I also feel like I don't need to love what I do for work. Like it's a bonus that I enjoy the work that I do at Innovate Map. I wouldn't need to like what I do as long as it was something, you know, that I could time box from nine to five. And especially if I was making a ton of money. So then maybe I would have gone into some sort of banking or um, engineering potentially. Mm. But I really don't know. Banking or engineering. That's pretty broad yeah i know those are just like the big payers out of college oh just because it made money yeah Um, and then i could do like creative stuff at home you know yeah if i really wanted to like that idea that if you could like be like really pragmatic about your career choice to just make money to fund the thing you want to do i respect people that can do that yeah do you have like a post-retirement dream of like starting a business or becoming a chef I'd say my retirement dream is to one day retire. Uh, I don't know what the status of 401k is going to be by then. Who knows? Yeah, I really am not sure. I've never wanted to start a company. It takes a very specific and special kind of person to do that. Mm. And I don't think I'm that person. Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, hard to know what you want to do in the future because we, I do believe like people change and like motivations change. I'm about Mm -hmm. to be 40 in two months. And so I've lived at least how old it's 40, 40 years old, Megan. Okay. Yeah. I I know for the record. record, Yeah. I know it's a big deal. Everybody in the office is talking about it because we had to reschedule something around my 40th birthday, but 
Uh, I'm actually pretty excited to turn 40, but I've lived long enough where if I look at my myself in my 20s, what I thought I wanted to do was true then, but it's not true anymore. I do have a dream to teach. Like mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to start a design school that I actually believed mm-hmm. in. So uh, we'll, awesome. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. If I can get all the other people that get old at Innovate Map to start it with me. Then and then I might do there that. There you go. Yeah. For the record, I think I could start a company. I just have no interest in doing it. But also, Christian, you know what I learned recently, and this actually might change some of your ideas, is that you don't need any teaching experience at all to get tenure at a university. Like if you have a PhD, See, and I think maybe thing, I don't it want has to, get a to be PhD. But you could, I mean, you like learning. You pretty much I know, give yourself but they a PhD write every all these day. Boring the PhD things. system is broken. It's, it's you like, write every day. Yeah. I know, but I write stuff that's fun. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I yeah. just want to get, all I want to do is get rich and famous enough that I get an honorary doctorate. Is that too okay. much to ask? Shaq has one. Charles no, Barkley probably has one too. You know, that's, yeah. and then if I get that, then I feel like I still get, the teaching gigs that come with it. I had thought about getting a PhD when I was a grad student in human computer interaction design. But even then in, in the mid 2000s, like I couldn't, I couldn't understand how you could get a PhD in such a fast moving field. It's not set up for, for tech. So I, I was like, I don't know that I'd ever get a PhD. You need some kind of PhD alternative for sure. That's yeah. what I want to invent. Yeah. Yeah. An NFT oriented yeah something with (laughs) nfts probably nft phd (laughs) that doesn't sound like a scam at all well maybe we can get started with some teaching today actually so context for our listeners the better product podcast is connected to the better product community which is a place for product professionals all across the world to come together and our members come from so many different industries and areas of expertise something i was noticing and talking to them is we have a lot of people who are new to product whether it's just the first few years of their careers or they're transitioning into product from another industry and a lot of questions on their minds is simply how do i succeed in product what skills do i need to make the most of this career and so That's what we're going to talk about today. There isn't really a set checklist you can walk yourself through to get yourself set up for a career in product, right? Like Christian just said, tech is changing constantly. You always need to have an eye out for new skills. And today we're going to talk about some of our top recommendations for what you need to know today um, to be successful. First question, I'd love to know how you ended up in product. So like you've each been in the field for some time now. How did you first break into the industry? Break into the industry seems like a lofty description for what I actually (laughs) did. I ended up in product by accident. So what happened with me was that I studied industrial design in college. And for anyone who doesn't know, industrial design is like architecture for anything smaller than a house. So some of my projects, I was designing playgrounds. I was designing microwaves. I was designing shoes. And the more I designed, I was like, okay, I think I really want to specialize in fashion because that's what interests me. And um, then the more I specialized, the more bored I got and the more of an existential crisis I had. And so by the time my senior year in college came around, I was really starting to look for some other opportunities where my skills could still be applicable. And I got introduced to the Orr Fellowship, which is a fellowship out of Indianapolis that pairs recent college grads in business and creative fields with tech companies. 
in Indianapolis, which is this new, you know, burgeoning tech scene. Um, well, it's, a, it's not really new anymore. We know that, but that is pretty much how Orr started. And so came, went through a few rounds of interviews, came to the final big interview day where companies and talent have to kind of rank each other after interviewing with each other. And I interviewed with Christian and a, a couple other people at Innovate Map. And we both ranked each other first, thankfully, and that's how I ended up there. So, like I said, kind of by accident. Uh, but what I did realize is that a lot of the skills that I had or I had picked up along the way were going to be useful for an agency like Innovate Map that works with these startups. And so I was actually our first brand designer hire under our creative director. And uh, I became a brand designer with no experience in brand design, having never taken a graphic design class, even in college. But I did have some design principles that I'd acquired, uh, you know, from being in industrial design. I did sometimes have to make logos and come up with names for the products I designed. And I'd also taken a couple um, human computer interaction classes in college and also a, a couple coding classes just because it interested me. And so all of that, like those skills, smaller, softer skills I'd acquired just because I was interested in things kind of came together to create the perfect starter experience, essentially, to work at a product company and work in product marketing and, and brand design. For me, it was a little bit more deliberate because I did get a master's in human computer interaction design. And... I kind of went and did the exact thing that I set out to do, which was design software. Now, that being said, the world that I was entering changed dramatically. I mean, the, the iPhone got released the summer after graduation. And so that we didn't even know at the time that mobile design was going to take off the way it did. And then once it did, a lot of us that had design degrees that predated that were getting worried that, you know, is this going to be, is my degree going to be relevant with, with this new design and all that? But in college, I always wanted to be a designer. I just didn't really know that the world was going to sort of evolve the way it did. So even with that, I had to evolve my own skills. And I remember my first job at Autodesk, I was designing Windows native software, uh, AutoCAD. So we didn't have to do visual design. It inherited the look and feel of Windows XP. And so we didn't have to do that. But then I started seeing that web design, designing apps for that worked in the browser was really starting to take off in the early 2010s. And that's when I started getting anxious that I was actually, I needed to go get new experience. So then I went and joined a company uh, where I met a lot of our co-founders of Innovate Map at Aprimo a marketing software company, but it was all browser-based software. Mm -hmm. And I did that because I needed to learn how to get better at visual design um, when you're designing your own, you know, UI elements. And then mobile design came, you know, really big after that as well. Basically, what I learned through all that is if you do learn design, they apply irrespective of the medium. So even with AR and VR and then other trends like Web3, like design skills are portable as long as you stay... Mm -hmm. You stay learning. Um, but uh, yeah, I would. I was laughing too with Megan that I don't know if it's a career you break into. I feel like people feel that way when they're transitioning. I was fortunate enough that I had good professors and was at a school at Indiana that had a, a lot of good thinkers in design that helped pave the way. And you know, for Megan joining a company like ours, I think we gave a lot of different opportunities to sort of 
you know, play with different aspects of product. Because Megan, what you're doing today is not what you were doing when you started. It's just kind of like morphed and evolved as you've grown. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. Like the longer I've been an Innovate Map, the more things or the more pieces of product that I've learned. So I started out as a brand designer. That got me thinking more about brand strategy. I would always sit in on the product marketing sessions, positioning and messaging. And at first it was probably just to take notes um, and really just find out what these companies were doing and learn more about them in order to better design for them. And then the more I sat in, the more I was like, well, I actually have ideas after this. And, you know, mm -hmm. I actually think that I know how to explain what they do better than they do now. And that became a skill set that I acquired that turned into me becoming a, a product marketer as well. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing your stories. And I, I'm hearing some really interesting patterns I'd like to kind of pause on. I mean, particularly like this process of constantly learning and evolving with the tech is so important, right? This isn't a field that slows down. Because of that, there are lots of entry points. People see the vast opportunity available in this industry and they want to take advantage of that. At the same time though, the tech is constantly changing, the opportunities are shifting. And so you have to stay ahead of the trends and know what's happening. To the extent that we can define some good soft skills and hard skills that people need to succeed in product. What what are some things that come to mind for you? I have like the least skill like skill that I that I I want to advocate for, which is building good taste. Like if you mm. want to be good, you um, stole at, mine. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was that like, was, oh, that was one I was of them. I have one. Head. Megan, Megan, Megan probably won't. I, maybe she won't say this one. There's an Ira Glass quote that I heard in grad school where he talks about uh, good taste and why it's really hard for creators. He was talking about it from like a writing standpoint. And I, I that's always stuck with me just getting good at design because you do have really good taste when you go to design school and it takes a really long time to get close to making something that's up to the standards you have. But now that I've been seeing founders and startups and people getting into product, I don't think there's enough appreciation for just developing good taste and products. Like mm. what does good UX look like? What is good? I mean, I had to learn messaging. I had to learn product marketing. That was totally foreign to me. I had really good taste in UX, but I had to learn that, but I treated it with the same sort of learner's mentality as we built our brand team and Megan came on and like understanding how do you look at this? Because it all works together. And a lot of times people get too focused on growing their skill sets, but don't, it, this is a weird thing. So like I'll get designers that apply for jobs and they check all the boxes. They like, I did this, I did user studies, I did wireframes, but like none of it's good. Like design and brand, they are fields where like you have to do something good. It's like cooking, like just because you turn the burner on and you cook the steak and all like that doesn't mean that what you end up with is any good. You have to build that taste. So I think that's the first thing that I would say. And sorry, Megan, add to it, though. No, uh, that's fine. Hopefully. I was going to say, though, the word that you're not using is it kind of also applies to cooking is that there is an art to it. Like we've taken a step back and we don't call design an art anymore because it's so much more than that. And um, there's a lot more technique. Well, I guess not technique. That goes into art, too. But there's a lot more technical aspects that go into design, especially something like UX design. But yeah, good taste is a huge factor. And it's something that you can't really learn. Mm. To your point, Christian, about you kind of have to come in with good taste and then get your skills up to par in order to create things that you think are good. You can learn those skills, but you can't 
you may not necessarily be able to learn how to have good taste. That was really the like taste like was one of the inspirations for focusing this this podcast on better products. My idea was why don't we just elevate what great products should look like and then help work backwards from there. But the reason why I'm happy to do this episode now is because we have built a community around it, but we're still doing it with a product forward approach where we're trying to surface that and then help people work backwards from how these great products were constructed. Because for me as a designer, even though I have a degree in design, a lot of what I learned on design was going out and looking at what was amazing and then basically trying to recreate it. Sort of like the same way a chef might like try to recreate an amazing dish to learn how to get better. So it was almost like the same goal to get better at our craft, but from the other side, from the the product side. And so with that, I think comes like just like having really good taste and stuff. And then at some point you'll age out of it. Like I'm not designing. I've hired designers that are faster and better than me at it. So taste is all I have. Like I don't have design skills that are superior, but I do have good taste and that stays with me and I can still help lead designers to build uh, better products themselves. Mm. So I think it's a really good thing to have that sort of stands the test of time. Taste is all I have. Sounds like a quote from an old Southern woman that's been confined to her home. <laughs> the the <Yeah>. second <laughs> I could just, am I smoking a cigarette in this and like a, uh, like, yeah. like a dark, dimly They've lit taken room? everything from yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It did. The second I said it, I was like, man, that sounds like it came from a movie yeah. or something. No, but I like it. I do have one more uh, in addition to taste, actually. And it's going to sound stupid and it's going to sound like who doesn't have that. But I think a big um, skill that people who are considering going into product need to have and need to actively use is critical thinking. And when I say that, I don't mean like just thinking about things a little bit longer than you normally would. I mean, actually thinking about things critically. So when you are a brand designer, you can't design a logo in a vacuum and then slap it on a t-shirt and call it a day. You have to actually talk to your client. You have to figure out what business problem they're trying to solve with a rebrand. Like, is this just a band-aid? Is, do you need product hierarchy first? Do you need to move up market? And so you need to look more professional. All of those are questions you should be asking before you even open up Figma or Illustrator or whatever you're using. You really need to understand the problems that your customers, your clients are trying to solve before you get started designing. Because Mm -hmm. design is, I mean, this is kind of a way that it differentiates from art is that it is a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And if you're not solving a problem with it, then it's probably not going to be very good. Yeah. That's the answer I wish I had. I love that critical thinking because I, I, as you were talking, I think even from the design standpoint, you have to defend everything that you, you put in, it's got to be done with intent. I mean, you talk about from the brand side, like you can look at like sexy visuals on brand new and be like, Oh, that looks good. But if it doesn't have the right intention behind it, it can, it can fall apart. And it's the same, even in product, like you've got to be able to defend why you want to go build a feature. And if you focus too much on the process of any of the product fields, you'll lose sight of the the why behind it. So like as an example, as a designer, when I was younger, I was way, I was way more insecure and not as confident. And so as a result, I would fall back on my design process all the time. And I would advocate for like doing user research 
all the time and making sure we did every phase to its fullest extent. As I got more experienced, I now could think more critically to the point where sometimes I may be talking to a prospect and they're asking, they're sharing their product with me and because they think it needs a redesign. And I'll look and I'm like, honestly, this is not bad. This is good. Like, oh, well, we haven't had a full-time designer. And I'm like, I get that, but what I'm looking at is good enough for what you need right now. I wouldn't spend a lot of time. That took a long time for me to be able to honestly tell a prospect who's offering money to, to pay for us for design, mm-hmm. to be able to actually think critically and think, you know what? I don't think you need that. So I think that's just one example of, sure. I, I think, another way to think critically about that's it. That's good. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you need to get beyond your own ego and product. Yeah. And I'm sure that's fair for a lot of industries with the exception of maybe. Okay. So here's, okay. So there's (laughs) ego and it's really easy to go like black turtleneck, like main stage with it. And that's like the, but there's the flip side, which I mentioned, which is insecurity. So like they both manifest themselves in similar ways negatively, where it's like, if you're driven by ego, then you are an inflated sense of self-worth. You act the same way as somebody who's actually really insecure. And this is coming from somebody who was for many years as a designer. It took me a long time to be confident. And you have to be really self-aware of, of that. And I'll embarrass Megan, but like working with Megan, even when she was right out of undergrad, never had ego and was always okay getting feedback. And it used to drive me crazy because I'm so defensive, even to this day, if I present a design and someone critiques it, I know I'm not supposed to get mad, but I'm like, how dare you? I spent weeks on this, but Megan never did. And as a result, she's flourished in what she's been able to do because she can just like grow and just take things for what they're worth. So I definitely think that both ego and insecurity are, are really prominent in product. And you do have to sort of learn how to get past that to be good. How did you get past it, Megan? Or are you just not born with that? Yeah, well, I was going to say I have an ego for sure. I, I probably didn't have the type of ego that would have, you know, hindered me being like chill about feedback. Christian actually thought I was on drugs for like the first year and a half that I worked for him. Uh, because Yeah, I don't think that anymore. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> No, that is very I, true. I actually think I did share that with you one time. I just thought that was your, but now I've realized it's just your vibe. Yeah. Christian thought I was on drugs in my interview with him and he hired me anyway. So that's just yeah, wasn't about, enough to say about no. both of us, I think. Yeah. I appreciated the bravery. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, so I think that the way that I've always approached design, like starting in high school, I started taking, you know, the higher level art classes and the all of the ones where you actually sit down with a group of like six people and you rip each other's art apart. And I continued that actually into college on top of my um, design classes because I it taught me that like I couldn't really have a, a tight grasp on anything that I created. A lot of times designers are so passionate about their designs that they come into a review internal or with a client and they feel like it's their baby. They feel like they're presenting their baby to people. And then all of a sudden these people are calling their baby ugly. And I never felt that way because I I guess I kind of desensitized myself to it. I would always, uh, you know, people, as long as people gave me a reason for their critique of my design, I would be able to either potentially agree with their reason and go back and change it or I would have a reason of my own that I would be able to bring up and be like, well, I made that decision because of this. 
And I think my reason actually trumps yours, you know? So mm -hmm. it just, it kind of depended on how prepared I was and how critically they were thinking as well. Yeah. It's like your job, if you are the, like the product manager or you're the lead designer or product marketer, like people have got to be able to trust you to make good decisions. So even if you present something and somebody gives you feedback that it's not right, like you need to be able to make the ultimate decision mm. um, because you, you're still going to be the expert in what you're trying to do. Other thing I want to advocate because we, you know, we, Megan and I are not product managers, but I'll even bring that into the fold. Like they face the same issues. They may not be a designer or a marketer, but product managers also have to own the features and they have to go kind of like defend it. And I've been in the room with, with PMs presenting in a sprint planning session with engineers. And that's a really tough crowd yeah. to get bought into something. And that's after they've already maybe presented to like senior leadership, or if you're in an early stage startup and you are the only one, and maybe the founder is entrusting you with their vision, that can also be a heavy burden to have as well. And you also have to do what Megan said, and I think separate yourself from the features maybe you have to acknowledge when the users or the data shows you that they are just not interested in in something or you may have to present something and get feedback that this isn't the highest priority and you have yeah. to be able to let that go yeah i think the biggest thing for me was separating myself like if someone comes back with i don't like this or i think we should do this instead they're not critiquing you as a person and so I started approaching those critiques with questions of my own, you know, coming to them and saying, I made this decision because of this. Would you have made the same decision? Are we on the same page about that? Do we have the same priority there? Or should I prioritize something else and make a different decision as a result? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, on the point of, you briefly mentioned data and like what your users and your feedback is showing you, I feel like we have so many more ways to see that now. And this is just my perspective, but... I feel like that that might be an equalizer in some of these conversations, right? Like that helps everyone work with similar information, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because even like seeing the data can sometimes be hard to, yeah. it's, it's amazing what the human mind will do. Even if you see the data, if it doesn't tell you what you want it to, you start making up stories for why it doesn't. And so you might say, if I put a feature out there and people aren't using it and you, you want to be like, ah, well it's probably because we didn't make it as noticeable enough in the app or like it's so easy to get in there, but that's why you have to stay. That's why product is so multidisciplinary because you need to get other people's perspectives on it to really see, I think where the, where the truth is. And I think for me, when I started getting better at product is when I opened myself up outside of just design and kind of like engaged with QA testers, then with with PM and then starting Innovate Map, learning product marketing. And I still at my core feel like a designer. And I think Megan still at your core, you're a designer. But now we've added all these other things to it. Design is maybe still a part of our, our pie chart of who we are, but maybe it's just shrunk to make room for, for new things. Mm. Uh, really quickly, because I definitely want to fit this question in for our listeners. I'll start with Megan. And I'm thinking here specifically about people transitioning into product. What's one thing you'd recommend that person do today to start setting themselves up for success? I would say uh, try to become, well, if they're trying to break into product, it probably means that they already have some variety of skills or a bit more of a variety in their background. But I would say 
try to gain as much knowledge and empathy for the other disciplines of product that you're not going to be breaking into as you can. So if you want to become a product manager, learn a little bit about product marketing, learn a little bit about brand, brand strategy, you know, what makes a good visual identity, what makes that be able to accomplish things for a company. Learn more about UX than you might otherwise. Like try out the tools that your designers are using. Take a, you know, a quick course on actual product engineering. Just get a little bit of knowledge from as many places as you can in order to be able to have better conversations and understand the team that you're working with a little bit better. Yeah, I think Megan hit it. So, and I, if I pivot off of that, the truth being that you must have like some skills, if you're already professional, figure out how that intersects with roles and products. So if you are maybe in like customer support or you're anything where you're, you know, fielding requests or even in customer service, like that can start to get, you know, shift into, you know, being in the product role or product owner or, or just, you know, fielding answers, even if it's a project manager, not a product manager, there are some earlier roles where you can start to like get into it. You can also look at bigger companies to try to find roles that are related because they'll have more roles. And then the one advantage that big companies have is you get exposure to a lot of different Mm -hmm. things. It can be more siloed, but the advantage of the silos is they have more diverse roles available. Like if you don't have distinct product skills, it'll be hard for you to thrive at a five person startup because you need to provide something like really valuable. That being said, if you are in sales or something like that, you might be able to find uh, a role going in there. So I think that that'd be the one thing I would say. The second, and I wanted to fit this advice into, is for people to network and just meet other people. If there's one thing I would have changed about the beginning of my career, it would have been networking. And by networking, I don't mean like just going to events and meeting people, just find people on LinkedIn or find people on Twitter and just reach out and ask if you can just ask some questions. People love to talk about themselves and you'll be surprised how much you can actually learn that way. And then the side benefit is that by building that network, someone will remember you and they might be the reason you get into product. I'm not like, I don't love networking, like the act of like walking up to random people, but I love talking to people. So you got to find the method that works. Like if it's email, if it's on Twitter, whatever it is, but just go meet people. And the worst thing that can happen, I've, it took me years to just like find designers I like and just reach out to meet them. And they almost always reply. I had one guy who didn't reply for two years and he finally replied to me. There's a guy that I admired in grad (laughs) school. It was so funny. I had the email somewhere. So yeah, so yeah, yeah, you'll get that sometimes. He didn't ghost you. He didn't, no. No, That's good. Great. Well, thank you both. This has been amazing. And I think we went in a lot of different directions, but I think that's good, right? Because like we said, it's really- We could talk about this for like many, many episodes. I feel like we didn't give anybody like, well, I I think we avoided talking about the stuff that's easy to find on the internet. Like how do you get better at product management? There's many Medium articles that will talk about that. I hope like- Maybe we gave people a framework or a lens that's like underneath all of the different things, the the hard skills you have to learn, being around like taste and critical thinking and and meeting people and openness, I think is like at the crux of what it means to excel in product. And maybe at some point we'll write an article with 
kind of like a different take on these skills, you know, so these are kind of big ideas we've been talking about, like taste or critical thinking. But I think about other ways to describe skills that you could use or should have as a product marketer. Like if you were always the friend that made the study guides for the rest of your friends, you would make a really great product marketer. Like you were the one taking all the information, distilling it, making it easier to understand, explaining it in simpler terms, and then communicating it to other people. That's essentially what I do every day. And I was also the one that made the study guides. So that's like a a connection (laughs) I've drawn um, recently, actually, in conversations with other product marketers at some of our networking events that I think that we could maybe even write a little bit more about and find more connections like that. Yeah, if you're the person who looks up like reviews of products endlessly before buying, user research is probably a good spot to be in. Mm. When I talk to people in design school and they're like, I don't know if I want to go into research or design, I'm like, which one is you? The person who can't wait to start designing or the one who thinks that we just need to do one more interview before we get to designing? That's the easiest way to tell. Brand design, I don't really know. Like, I feel like brand design, if, if I looked at like all the four core areas of product we think I feel like that's the one where like you either have it or you don't it's like I don't have the taste to be a great chef like I love food so much because my bar is low I don't have a great palate and I know I would be the person on like master chef who every time is cooking Gordon Ramsay's chewing out saying that like you didn't put enough of this and I'm like it tastes good to me (laughs) like that would be me when it comes to cooking and that's okay if that's you but I think Having self-awareness to know that that might not be your thing is good. But a lot of times when I see people that think they're designers and their work isn't great, they're almost always really great at uh, like marketing or at uh, product marketing. Or if it's UX and they're not great, they're actually usually really good at product management. Yeah, I need to come up with one of those filters for brand. The only one that's coming to mind right now is if like if you're the person that like needs to be in head to toe off white or supreme or whatever it is you're probably not actually a good designer. Like if you're the person who's going out and finding one thing from Balenciaga and pairing it with like the jeans you got from Goodwill and like this bag that your grandmother gave you, then maybe like that that kind of speaks to taste also, I think. Yeah. I don't know why Megan was just dissing my whole outfit right now. That was (laughs) my off-whites and my Balenciaga. Wow. Didn't need to go there. Glad it's not a video podcast. Not yet. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. I'm wearing bonobos well, from head to toe. I think right everybody now. knows you're wearing head to toe bonobos, Christian. You don't need to clarify. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Well, well, we should end this we podcast. Should. All things considered, I think we'll end on this note. I think what we learned most today is know yourself, number one, then choose your own adventure. And like we mentioned, this will be a topic we're going to cover some more. um, So stay tuned if you're in the community. If not, uh, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, Yeah, I forgot the one last skill we forgot to mention or the one last thing you can do to break in a product. Join the Better Product Community Slack. Join our community. We have resources for people who have more experience, but also, again, uh, conversations like these. If you're brand new, this is the place for you. We want to be welcoming and help you uh, grow in whatever way you need it. Just as a teaser, we did a breakdown of Coca-Cola Starlight a few weeks ago. (laughs) Yep. That is content you can only get in that Slack channel. Yes. So just as as a little teaser. Very true. You're on the fence about joining. Coca-Cola Starlight, by the way, really good. And but I don't want to start another podcast. We can do one about that. Um, Coca did not pay us. (laughs) That's true. So yeah, join us uh, betterproduct.community and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. 
We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.